AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. When an athlete injures a muscle or a tendon, they'll go through a variety of treatments to mend the tissue. They might soak their body in an ice bath to reduce inflammation or do certain stretches to loosen things up again. But one man is actually responsible for many of the machines and techniques used today, and he brought them all the way from Sweden. His name was Gustav Zander, born in the 30s in Stockholm. He was kind of obsessed with fitness from a young age, focusing much of his study on Swedish medical gymnastics. Otherwise known as the Swedish Movement Cure, medical gymnastics were first introduced by Per Heinrich Ling, a poet and theology student who was tired of seeing Sweden taking a backseat to other stronger countries. So he came up with training regimens centered around physical education, fencing, massage, and dance that were eventually adopted by the Swedish government. And Xander mastered Ling's exercises, but he lamented the need for other people to provide resistance so that the exerciser could build muscle. I mean, what if the assistant couldn't lift the weight, or they just didn't feel up to helping out that day? So he came up with an alternative, one that removed assistance from the equation. Xander got to work on a series of machines, which he built and honed through the 50s. They utilized levers and weights to provide the needed resistance, much like today's exercise and therapy equipment. They resembled something more akin to medieval torture devices than workout gear, but each machine was designed to massage or sculpt a particular muscle group within the body. They would provide, according to Xander's own words, increased well-being and capacity for work. He earned his medical license in the 60s and began testing his machines on the students of a local school. The results were encouraging, with children demonstrating increased strength and improved overall health after using the devices for some time. Xander then opened his own school, the Medico-Mechanical Institute of Stockholm, to give the public a taste of what mechanotherapy machines could do. They were built of wood and metal, some with cables and pulleys, while others required the user to be strapped in and pulled in a specific way. One device bore a striking resemblance to the lateral pull-down machine used in today's modern gyms. The user would sit on a chair at an angle and pull down on a rod connected to a cable. The resistance would agitate the muscles in their arms. And yet another contraption pummeled a person in the midsection with padded discs to stimulate their abdominals. Of course, with great success comes great profits. After winning awards for his designs in the 70s and opening more institutes, Xander eventually pivoted to private health spas for the wealthy. He also got his devices into private elite institutions. And the upper class certainly approved. Thanks to these miracle machines, it didn't matter if someone was actually fit. 
All that mattered was how they looked, all the gains with very little effort. There were medico-mechanical institutes in 146 countries by 06, and four years later, America had also gotten wind of his workout machines. But the thing was, these wooden appliances wouldn't fit in with modern gym equipment, which was made of steel, iron, and rubber. But Xander didn't get a chance to improve his devices and the techniques that he pioneered. He didn't live to see their widespread adoption either, because he died in 1920. Almost all of his machines were invented in the 1800s. He didn't know it at the time, but his mechanotherapy ideas would eventually be adopted by physical therapists and doctors all over the world. They employed the use of machines to help repair and rehabilitate injured tissue in their patients. Today, mechanotherapy is used to treat everyone, from injured athletes to people recovering from car accidents and major falls. And gym rats are quite familiar with his devices too, even if they don't realize it. The fitness world just wasn't ready for what Gustav Zander had built, and sadly he fell into obscurity following his death. About 50 years later, though, someone else would unknowingly pick up the torch. His name was Arthur Jones, the founder of exercise brand Nautilus. Jones also invented numerous devices and held a variety of patents for machines that targeted specific muscles in the body. He just didn't know that he was retreading ground that Xander had already worked on. When asked about Xander's contributions, Jones was quoted as saying, If I had known about and understood Xander's work, it would have saved me a lot of time and a rather large fortune in money, because the man was a genius. His only problem was that he lived about a century ahead of his time. So the next time you visit the gym, give thanks to the Swede who brought fitness to the masses. And remember to wipe down the machine for the next person who uses it. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. 
Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Look around and you'll likely find an everyday object that you don't really think about. It might be your keys or a pair of headphones or even your computer itself. These things are always there because they've always been there. John Loud didn't have that luxury. What he needed hadn't been invented yet, but he didn't worry about it too much. He just made it himself. John Jacob Loud was born in November of 1844 in Weymouth, Massachusetts, about 16 miles south of Boston. He graduated from Harvard College in 1866 with a degree in law, gaining an appointment to the Suffolk County Bar six years later. But ultimately, the legal profession wasn't for him. He instead gave it up to become an assistant cashier at the bank where his father worked, and then took over his dad's cashier position after his death in 1874. It was a job that he held for the next 21 years. But Loud wasn't just a cashier, at least in his heart. He had a keen interest in his heritage and became a genealogist with several different genealogical and historical societies throughout New England. He was even able to trace his lineage back to the Mayflower. On top of that, he also conducted his local choir, was active within his church, and he wrote poetry in his spare time, what little he seemed to have. And he'd gotten married in 1872 to Emily Keith Vickery, with whom he had eight children. Above all else, John J. Loud was an inventor. You see, aside from all the other jobs and hobbies that he had, Loud also tanned leather. It was a passion for him, but he had run into a problem. The writing instruments at the time just didn't work well on leather. Fountain pen ink didn't dry quick enough, and it ran everywhere. Meanwhile, his pencil couldn't make a dark enough line for him to see. Loud knew that there had to be a better way. And so, in true inventor fashion, he built one. As Loud himself put it, My invention consists of an improved reservoir or fountain pen, especially useful, among other purposes, for marking on rough surfaces such as wood, coarse wrapping paper, and other articles where an ordinary pen could not be used. It was a slender metal tube with a push button at the top, a tightly coiled spring inside, and most importantly, a small steel bearing at the bottom. As the tube was dragged across the surface, the bearing would pick up ink from within the reservoir and roll it on, leaving behind a darkened line that dried instantaneously. He was issued a patent for his invention on October 30th of 1888, but quickly found out that his creation had limited purpose outside of marking rough or coarse surfaces. With no way to market his new product, he abandoned it, and the patent eventually expired. But it wasn't done for good. Others tried to patent similar inventions with the intent of making something that worked on all surfaces equally well, whether they were made of paper or fabric. But one man actually succeeded. His name was Laszlo Biro from Hungary. In the early 20th century, Biro was a newspaper editor who, just like Loud, had grown tired of having to clean up the messes left behind by his fountain pens. The pages he marked up were often smudged because of the wet ink that they used. But one day he noticed that his newspaper had been printed with a fast-drying ink that did not smudge. He thought that ink would work well in a pen, but not a fountain pen. So he asked his brother Georg for help. Georg was a dentist and a chemist who knew how to mix the ink into something more viscous that wouldn't smear and take forever to dry. With a suitable vessel already created by others before him, Biro was able to devise a new kind of pen, one that used a tiny ball at the end of a tube to collect the ink from a cartridge inside and as it rolled, it would deposit a line onto the paper that was already dry. Biro demonstrated his first 
ballpoint pen in 1931 at the Budapest International Fair. Over the next seven years, he worked on it until he finally had it patented in Paris in 1938. And that patent was bought by Marcel Bick, the co-founder of the Bick Company in 1945. Today, Americans refer to most disposable ballpoint pens as Bicks, after the company that produces most of them. But over in England, they're called Byros, named for the man who brought them to the mainstream. Sadly for John J. Loud, his name isn't often said at all, even though he deserves just as much credit as those who came after him for the ballpoint pen. Although, I'm glad his name isn't attached to the pen today. I'm not sure anyone would want to write with a Loud. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.